Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. The year was 1933, and Herbert W. Armstrong was holding public meetings in a small schoolhouse in Oregon. He was preaching the good news of the coming kingdom of God to anyone who wanted to attend these meetings and listen. There were just 35 chairs set up in the schoolhouse where these meetings were being held. The first meeting, 27 people showed up. On the second night, just 19 people attended. And yet on that second night, something huge happened that really boosted attendance for the rest of these meetings. Mr. Armstrong had a confrontation with a man named Belshaw. Belshaw had a custom of going to the nearby theological school at the University of Oregon and publicly challenging those students, those aspiring ministers with hard Bible questions. And when these students inevitably were stumped by the question, they would be embarrassed, they would lose all credibility, and no one would want to hear them preach. Belshaw thought he was quite the Bible scholar, and so he thought he should try the same approach against Mr. Armstrong on this second night of meetings back in 1933 here in this small schoolhouse in Oregon. But Mr. Armstrong had a major advantage that none of these other Bible students had. Mr. Armstrong was really stirring up God's Holy Spirit each day. He was empowered at his prayer rock so that he would be ready for anything whenever these meetings happened. Mr. Armstrong found this prayer rock on the Fisher farm where he was staying nearby in Oregon in preparation for these meetings. And this rock was out in the middle of a field on the farm. It was about 14 inches tall, the perfect height to kneel in front of and prop up your elbows for prayer. And so Mr. Armstrong did just that. In preparation for all of these public meetings, he prayed hard. He asked God to prepare him for anything. Mr. Armstrong expected the unexpected. And notice how Belshaw confronted Mr. Armstrong. Have you been saved yet? Mr. Belshaw asked. Mr. Armstrong received inspiration from God in a split second to answer this question. Mr. Armstrong said, Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 13, that he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. 
You see, that's in future tense. We're not saved yet. We have to do something. We have to endure. We have to stay loyal to God until the end of this physical life to receive salvation. Now, what does it mean to be loyal to God? Does it simply mean believing in the fact that Christ is our Savior? Is that all it takes? Any one of us could believe that Christ existed and that he preached to people and performed healing miracles and such. But how valuable is believing that fact by itself? Notice how Mr. Armstrong continued in this response to Belshaw. He referred to Matthew 24, verse 14, the very next verse, where it says that the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom of God, would be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations. Mr. Armstrong explained that the kingdom of God is the rule of God. It's the ruling government of God which means there will be laws to enforce, which means the subjects in the kingdom of God will have to obey God's law. Christ's entire message was about the establishment of God's kingdom at Christ's second coming. And God's kingdom enforces God's law. Mr. Armstrong explained with great power to Belshaw that he was there at those public meetings to preach God's kingdom and God's law. And he challenged Belshaw right back. Why do you not obey the commandments as Jesus said, Mr. Belshaw? You can find this account in Chapter 29 of Mr. Armstrong's autobiography, which you can get for free at thetrumpet.com. Chapter 29 is titled, The Real Beginning of Present Work. Now, Mr. Gerald Flurry, Pastor General of the Philadelphia Church of God, has written about this confrontation in his book, The New Throne of David. And he draws attention here in the New Throne of David to Mr. Armstrong's source of spiritual power. How Mr. Armstrong was blunt and bold because he got answers to his prayers. Mr. Armstrong prayed hard about these public meetings and God blessed him, not just with the sermon, but also with answering any questions, any challenges that might arise. Belshaw thought he could stump Mr. Armstrong, and he sure did think wrong. Mr. Belshaw essentially was a lawless Christian. He did not want to keep God's law. Mr. Armstrong immediately discerned the true motive 
and the wrong spirit in Mr. Belshaw, the lawlessness that infected his mind. And that's why Mr. Armstrong answered with a verse about the kingdom, the ruling government of God's law, of God that enforces God's law. Now, Mr. Belshaw did say he would keep the Ten Commandments if he could see any love in them. Mr. Armstrong replied, then you must be spiritually blind. The Ten Commandments are merely the ten points of the great law of love. The first four tell you how to love God. The last six, how to love your neighbor. The Bible says love is the fulfilling of the law. The commandments came from God and God is love. He gave the commandments. Do you think God ever did anything that was not done in love? (laughs) That's a hard question. That's a strong question for Mr. Armstrong that every one of us must answer. Do you think God ever did anything that was not done in love? Today, we hear so much about that harsh, old, strict law and how it just is a burden on people. And that's why Christ destroyed it. But no one really considers, why did that that law exist in the first place? Why did God give the Israelites the Ten Commandments? He wanted them to be blessed above all nations. He wanted the Israelites to obey the law so they could be an example to the entire world of how to be happy and how to be blessed. Is that really so bad? Is that the kind of law that must be abolished? Why would Christ even want to get rid of that law? It's all just cause and effect. Obey God and be blessed. Blessings for obedience. And yet people say the law is done away. Where does it say the law is done away? Matthew 5 actually talks about how Christ came to magnify the law and show how just 10 commandments apply to every situation in life. Nothing there shows that Christ wanted to get rid of the law. Now, Mr. Armstrong really did understand God's law. How God's law is love. And Mr. Armstrong also knew he was responsible for defending that law and defending God. Mr. Belshaw was lawless. He was hostile toward God, as it says In Romans chapter 8, that's another common belief today that human nature is fundamentally good and always improving, but your Bible says something very different. Romans 8 verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The carnal mind is hostile toward God. That's what it means there in Romans 8, verse 7. The carnal mind, the fleshly, material mind, 
the human spirit without God's Holy Spirit is not sub- subject to the law of God. But then notice Romans 8, verse 8. It says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That's the whole point. You have this wicked, carnal human nature in Romans 8, verse 7. It says there that it's impossible for our human nature, our human spirit, our human mind to keep God's law. But then the very next verse says God is not pleased with that situation. God is not content for us to just be the human spirit alone without the Holy Spirit, incapable and unwilling to keep the law. And that is why God gives the Holy Spirit. So we do have the power to keep the law and please God. It's just incredible. The Bible talks about how beautiful, how perfect God's law is, how it does bring us freedom. The Bible talks about how God wants us to keep the law. That's what's pleasing to him. And that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit. So Mr. Armstrong at these public meetings in Oregon back in 1933 very skillfully turned away Mr. Belshaw's challenge, his anti-law attack. Mr. Flurry writes on page 7 of the New Throne of David, Mr. Belshaw's behavior was human nature in action. Human nature hates God's law. When members begin to drift spiritually and read the wrong meaning into scriptures, it almost always starts as a problem with the law. If we let down and get away from our prayer rock, that is so often where our perspective gets off track. Mr. Armstrong learned that lesson and taught it to us. Some powerful insight there from Mr. Flurry, again from the New Throne of David, which you can get for free at thetrumpet.com, the new throne of David. And this book really does show the power of prayer. Mr. Armstrong went to that prayer rock. He prayed fervently and in detail for these public meetings. God bless Mr. Armstrong with the right topics to preach about, to really give those audience members a chance to receive spiritual enlightenment so that God could start to open their minds and start calling some people into the truth. God also inspired Mr. Armstrong to handle these challenges from people like Mr. Belshaw, but Mr. Belshaw was not the only one. Mr. Flurry asks here, how protective of God's law are you? Do you take a stand for the God of love and his law of love? It's really incredible how Mr. Armstrong answered this attack by Mr. Belshaw with Matthew 24. And Mr. Armstrong specifically quoted verse 14, which is an end time prophecy that Mr. Armstrong 
later fulfilled. Back in 1933, speaking to just 19 people in Oregon, it did not seem like Mr. Armstrong was about to fulfill Matthew 24, verse 14, which says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Mr. Armstrong was not preaching before all the world back in 1933. He wasn't even preaching before all the town in, in that tiny part of Oregon. And yet, look at Mr. Armstrong's attitude toward God's law and how Mr. Armstrong took a stand for God's law of love. God knew way back then that he could use Mr. Armstrong. And that's the same thing he wants from us. God wants us to take a stand for his law. God wants us to support the true gospel message going out to the world today through Mr. Flurry and the PCG. And again, that message is about God's kingdom, God's government, God's law, and how God's Ten Commandments will solve all world problems in the future. And those Ten Commandments can solve all problems in our lives today if we will just obey. That's a hope-filled message. We have to have this right attitude toward law that Mr. Armstrong had. There's another confrontation here in chapter 29 of the autobiography, I believe it is, but also in... The New Throne of David, Mr. Flurry recounts it. At another one of these Bible meetings in Oregon in 1933, Mr. Armstrong asked a visiting minister to give the opening prayer. This visiting minister was not a true minister of God. Mr. Armstrong was just being polite by offering him the opportunity to give the prayer. This minister knew ahead of time that Mr. Armstrong planned to speak about God's Sabbath day at that public meeting. And so this minister used his prayer opportunity to attack the Sabbath day. He prayed, I thank you, O Lord, that we have a Christ to worship and not a day. Help us, O Lord, to preach Christ and him crucified not about days and laws. Help us to be like the Apostle Paul who said, I am determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And again, the benefits of Mr. Armstrong's prayer rock, his rock-solid prayer foundation shone through. Mr. Armstrong prayed during <laughs> this hostile minister's prayer so that God would provide the answer. Mr. Armstrong silently prayed to God for help, facing yet another attack from an anti-law Christian. Mr. Armstrong responded to open his lecture, I am going to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified tonight. But to do that, one must first know why Jesus Christ had to be crucified. 
Do we ever think about that? Christ did suffer and die for all human sin. But what is sin? It's the breaking of God's law. And God hates sin. So why would we continue to sin and do the very things that caused Christ to be crucified? Mr. Armstrong said, I wonder if people realize that sin is the transgression of God's law and that Jesus Christ was crucified because you people have been transgressing his holy Sabbath. Don't you profane what is holy to God anymore? And now I propose to preach to you Christ crucified tonight and why he was crucified. This minister was humiliated. He was embarrassed. He stormed out of the schoolhouse after Mr. Armstrong's rebuke. Everyone laughed at him. And then Mr. Armstrong continued preaching about the Sabbath day. That was the second time Mr. Armstrong was challenged during these public meetings in Oregon back in 1933. But Mr. Belshaw was not done with Mr. Armstrong just yet. Mr. Belshaw had to make his last stand. And so he also decided to question Mr. Armstrong on another night about the Sabbath day. Mr. Armstrong said, okay, I'll answer your question, but you have to admit that I'm right and you'll have to give up your rebellion so that you can start keeping the Sabbath. And then I'll give you the answer. <laughs> Mr. Belshaw refused. Again, his lawlessness was exposed. He did not want to obey. He did not want real proof of the Sabbath day and how we should be keeping it as true Christians even today. So Mr. Belshaw <laughs> ran away as well, just like that other minister. Page 10 of the New Throne of David says, Mr. Armstrong was confronted with some of the biggest questions in the Bible and answered them beautifully. His history with the prayer rock is one of the most inspiring stories in this end time. Look at how God used that man because he went to the prayer rock for help and strength. What an example for us today as we do God's work, as we strive to live God's way of life. Mr. Armstrong had a prayer rock. Each one of us should have a prayer rock, a place where we can go in private and pray. And what a difference it will make in our lives. It will transform our minds. It will free us from sin. It will motivate us to do what is right, and we will be blessed as a result. Prayer makes a major difference in our lives and in God's work. Mr. Arm Mr. Flurry said about prayer, you can change the world. What an incredible example for Mr. Armstrong. It all started at a rock. And for us to be successful, it all must start at a rock. 
Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.